This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Warning, this episode contains strong language. Hi, I'm Philippa Tolley and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's story is from the Waikato Times newsroom and is called Making Tracks. It's written by reporter Jonah Frankie Bowl and is about his time working on the railroads during the pandemic. For months he learned how to lay tracks, find the best provincial sandwich and make friends along the way. Here is Karanamaruru reading Jonah's story, Making Tracks. From Italy tonight, the most staggering toll yet. 475 deaths in just the last 24 hours. And again, this happened in a country hitting the US. The first country in Europe to confirm cases of coronavirus. Now it's the first to report fatality. From 11.59 p.m. tonight, we will close our border to any non-residents and citizens attempting to travel here. When I was 19 years old and studying in the Netherlands, COVID sent me and my worldly possessions back into my childhood bedroom in Hamilton. For nine months, I would hit the books at night, joining discussions about Kant or Kuznets curves in the pitch black of my childhood bedroom, volume low as not to wake the family. During the day, I would don a set of flame-retardant high-vis and cycle to a Kiwi Rail depot in Frankton. The last few hundred metres of my dawn commute would send me past old railway cottages since gussied up to cream the top off the housing boom, a rugby grounds whose team was once nearly solely boys from the rails, and, finally, and through gates of the Pukekor Street Depot. I was hired alongside ten others who, to varying degrees, also had their life's plans scuffered by COVID. There were ex-pilots, scaffies fresh out of outback ore mines, young fathers, and boys who had only ever driven their utes and a digger. In the Hamilton fog, if you shut your eyes and listen to us all chat, you could have been transported back to the golden days of New Zealand rail. In a sense, these were jobs for life. New lives brought about courtesy of COVID. Hired with money out of Shane Jones's provincial growth fund, it was our job to carry out deferred maintenance across the Waikato and into the King Country. There was plenty of it too. Culverts that hadn't seen railway workers since the days of Transrail, patches of formation, the gravel pad beneath the rail ballast that was so sodden from years of trains pumping groundwater up onto the track they'd become muddy, speed-restricted messes. An endless closure cutting, essentially cutting out a worn piece of rail and replacing it with whatever spare of the same weight we had lying around. It was often sought from rusted stockpiles that sat adjacent to remote bits of the track. My ganger, foreman, had an uncanny ability to unearth good rail amongst the warped and bruised. By the end of my five-month stint, before I returned to university, 
our three-man gang could measure, always twice, cut, lift, and bolt five metres of rail into place in less than half an hour. At the time, although it was tough for a guy not used to blue-collar work, there was not much better than the percussion of the bants, a petrol-powered rattle gun, in tandem with a revving rail saw, while the man on the sledge knocked out ties. Kiwi Rail is a place of competing priorities. Resources are always in short supply, be it labour, experience, or simply money. Each gang is assigned a section to tend to. About 50 kilometres long, ours ran out of the Terapa shunting yard and north through Hamilton's light industrial outskirts, through Ngārua Wahia, skirting Topiri, bisecting Huntley, and then wending through the Waikato countryside as far as the Te Onetea Road level crossing, LCAM ID 2447. As such, we also had a lead role in the building of the now two-year-old Huntley passenger station, erected to serve, as Chris Luxon put it, the White Elephant Tehuya service. We spent many winter mornings lining up sleepers, setting rail into place, and strapping it all down with pandrels, a sort of coiled steel rail tie. Growing up partly in Germany, I was familiar with the size of rail equipment that served that country's 33,000 kilometres of state-owned track. Enormous Ophidian machines that can build hundreds of metres of level, standard-gauge track all at once. We had none of that in the Waikato. There was a 30-tonne digger from an Auckland-based rail contracting outfit with a typically Kiwi invention that spaced the sleepers at the right intervals. When that was decoupled, the digger would attach a fork and brute force the rail into place, essentially unheard of overseas. So too is the motley melding of rails that one encounters on tracks in New Zealand. Here, I'm talking about the actual ribbons of steel upon which the locomotives and carriages run. All rails are smelted such that they have a particular density. Most networks elsewhere have a consistent approach to rail dimensions. 60 kgs per metre is standard on most mainline networks. There is nothing like that approach here in Aotearoa. Across the network, one will find 90 pounds per yard rail. In some shunting yards, rail is light as 75 pounds per yard, and now increasingly 50 kg per rail. In the case of the 75-pound stuff, some of it was nearly 100 years old. The problem is not necessarily the age, but the motley dimensions that come with grafting new rail up against old. Every encounter between two rails of different profiles requires a bespoke fish plate, connection plate, to be milled, often by a local engineering workshop. This is more common than one might expect, especially in marshalling yards. The reason the rail weight is still measured in imperial units is simple. It's that old. For comparison's sake, we were occasionally connecting 37 kg per metre rail to rail 35% heavier, a weld that, when it comes to it, would even make the most seasoned of welders agonise. While it's partly due to, on occasion, challenging geography, which means heavier rail cannot be crowed, bent into tight bends, like those on the Rodimu spiral, it's also a matter of cost saving. 
We often heard of good quality British and Austrian rails being scrapped in favour of Chinese rails of a heavier weight, only to hear that there'd been some issue with the quality, and they were being removed in favour of, ironically, a new British or Austrian rail. And while new rails enter the country infrequently, when they do, their quality is often sacrificed at the altar of deferred maintenance. One thing that was seldom sacrificed were our lunch breaks. As a manual labourer, you gain a sixth sense for roadside food. What's worth the money and what isn't? Huntley was our lunch town of choice. The Bakehouse Cafe on Main did a pretty good cinnamon twist. Unctuous and flavourful enough to hide the trace of rail grease that had worked itself onto hands. Huntley also has a decent countdown. And after a morning of closure cutting a six pack of cheese rolls and a pack of champagne ham goes down a treat. Sometimes lunch also came down to simple geography. A mince and cheese pie from a roadside dairy, for instance. All goo, no good. On occasion, we would assist a crew who were working on a larger project somewhere on another section. A July morning saw us assist with a derailment at the Waitoa Dairy Factory. A shunt had jumped the points and ended up in the lay-by next to the track. The driver hadn't followed protocol and had elected to proceed through the points too fast and without inspecting the points. Into the grassy went. There's a certain art to heaving an 82-ton locomotive onto centimetre-wide steel strips. Essentially, that art is wrought out of a 230-ton crane, strops, and a sincere hope by everyone in high-vis that the engine doesn't become immobile. Because if 80-odd tons lands on top of you, you'd know about it, as a colleague said wryly. That same colleague, a former butcher who had suffered from industrial deafness, would lament that each and every day, regardless of what we ended up doing, was a of a day. Sitting in the trucks, shooting the breeze, of a day. Doing a 100 metre long de-stress, taking the tension out of the rail, a of a day, to be sure. At the same derailment, that colleague's wife turned up about midday in a hatchback laden with scones and lemonade for us. She'd driven from Morrinsville on her lunch break. Again, I'm not sure that would happen overseas. These were the people you surrounded yourself with on the rails. People who had no bonds other than the arduous work they undertook and knowledge that when everything else turned to custard they could rely on the bloke alongside them for a sandwich, a ride to work, or, I'm sure if one asked nicely, a spot until next payday. I worked with guys for whom that had always been the norm. They started their cadetships when Kiwi Rail was about four iterations from existence, when New Zealand Railways Department reigned supreme. But for those like myself who had come from sundry backgrounds, in my case, university via temp work traffic management, a reliable wage and a knowledge you'd be appreciated was welcome. I suppose that's what made the foibles of the job bearable. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. 
As part of our training, we spent a month learning different rail-related trades and skills in a porter cabin in the far corner of the yard. We learnt how to measure and cut closures, fight fires, rig high-up cranes, and rescue ourselves from a tunnel turned noxious. One of our instructors was a Zambian-born coal miner who, once the Huntley West mine closed, took to teaching aspiring rail workers how to keep themselves safe. Fire extinguishers were to be used in a sweeping motion. Rail saw had to be primed and decompressed, and don't use a sledgehammer to knock out pandrel. Please, use the unwieldy pandrel puller. It'll save us an ACC claim. Most of the training we used daily. I can probably still just about remember how to strap a rail. Some we used rarely. Friday afternoons were inspection days. Each crew would drive their section in their high-rail vehicles, checking the track for deformities, broken rails, joints come apart, broken sleepers, and so on. Every second Friday, my crew would drive slowly to Huntley, inevitably listening to either Radio Hodaki or My FM, depending on who was behind the wheel. And on track in the small yard that served the coal trains heading in and out of Rotowaro Mine. On one particular Rotowaro inspection day, we received a call from some buddies who had worked a section immediately before our own. They had several closures that needed doing, and if we were free, could we come and give them a hand? The site was a portion of track adjacent to State Highway 1, where the trains and cars compete against one another in plain sight. Once we had on-tracked and arrived at site, we set to work letting practice overtake judgement. In our haste for an early Friday finish, we set the scrub next to the track ablaze. The rail saw sprayed a 1,100 degrees Celsius spark some distance from the rail they were cutting. In no small part thanks to the motorcycle engine they were powered by. We'd rather blithely cut facing away from the scrub, allowing the saw's exhaust to turn railside tinder into flame. It took us some time to realise the conflagration we'd set. In thick PPE gear and clad in earmuffs, your senses dull to the world beyond your immediate surroundings. Against a prevailing wind and with heads down concentrating on cutting, we had failed to notice the billowing heat haze from the fence behind us until someone asked, why the fuck is it so hot? Saw killed, tools dropped, and every available fire extinguisher on our two trucks was put to good use, dousing the fire with a citric-tasting powder. Extinguishers discharged, it was up to the strength of our shovels and boots to dig a rudimentary containment line around the growing blaze. Eventually, the shovel turned to the flames themselves, batting down hot spots, leaving the shovel heads warm to the touch. Satisfied we'd put it out, off we set down State Highway 1 towards home. Beers cooled, windows down, radio up. We'd earned our keep. The radio crackled into life. This is MP147. There's a small grass fire north of Ohenewai. Could train control please contact the fire brigade? In many ways, that radio transmission ought to stand as a high-frequency aphorism explaining the entire state of New Zealand railways. We started the fire through neglect. 
ended it with our metal, only to have it burst into life again with a change in the winds. This is what is happening in the country at large too, I think. We had a fire sale to Wisconsin Central, New Zealand merchant bankers, and Faye Richwhite. Then we bought it back to have for ourselves. Then, with a change in political winds back and forth, we have let the embers smoulder. And God, do they reek. That was Making Tracks on the Long Read From Stuff. Written by Jonah Frankie Bell, read by Karanama Ruru, and produced by Jim Black. This episode was edited by Connor Scott. If you listened via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. If you follow the podcast, you'll get the latest episode automatically. Thanks for listening. Ka kite anō. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz support.